Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is the second week of our series called Off With The Old. This week, Pastor Mike will be teaching from Ephesians 4, verses 20 through 25. If you'd like to take notes, there's a link for that in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. And without further ado, here's Pastor Mike. Now, we're seeing in this uh, section of Ephesians, we said it's teaching about the true nature of biblical morality, that the moral lifestyle of a follower of Christ should be distinctively different than that of the world around us. And the Bible teaches throughout, you know, throughout the Bible that this is the case, that, you know, that as a follower of Christ, that we should be different. Our lives should look different. Even last week, we started looking at this section, and we saw in verse 17 of Ephesians 4, Paul kind of calling that out. You know, we said, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the fertility of their minds. When he talks about Gentiles, he's talking about unbelievers, and walk is our lifestyle. And he says, I'm telling you, you know, you sh- your lifestyle shouldn't be the same as it was. You know, that's what you were, but, but you should be different than the unbelievers around you. Now, some Christians, he's saying, you aren't that different. He's saying that shouldn't be. No, he continues in verse 20, but that's not the way that you learn Christ. You know, that's who you were, but that's not who you are in Christ. Our lives should be different. But how should they be different? And, and here's where we get to this whole question of saying, what does the Bible teach about the Christian lifestyle, about biblical morality? And it's an issue that there is actually some degree of confusion. You see, I think for many people, when you ask them to say, well, what does the religion teach or what does morality teach? What's the biblical morality they originally are, are, are going to almost certainly go to rules that you're supposed to keep, you know, the thou shalt nots. You know, the focus is primarily in the negative. These are the sins that we're supposed to avoid. So in the other words, the moral person is a person that doesn't sleep around, you know, that doesn't lie, that doesn't steal, that doesn't kill, that doesn't get drunk, or, or whatever sins we may put on that particular list. And, uh, and what we need to realize, though, is that while religion focuses on rules, The Bible consistently teaches that Christianity isn't a religion. It isn't a set of rules. It's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And as a result, even when it gets to the issue of morality, it teaches it totally different than any other religion because it's not about, you know, here are the rules that you have to keep, that Christianity just has a different set of rules. See, what we need to realize is that when we think about religion and a set of rules, we're going to see the primary problem as our behavior. Okay, well, we've done this wrong thing, so how do we fix it? Well, well, we need greater self-control. We need self-discipline. We need to just work harder. But we all know that in practical experience, just trying harder and self-discipline doesn't really work. We know that by just looking at, you know, New Year's resolutions. Every year we'd make a New Year's resolution. I want to change this in my life, and we joke about it. Now, most of us don't even try to do that because we know it generally doesn't work. See, trying harder, self-control doesn't work because our core problem isn't just our actions. The core problem is really our, our heart, it's our character. The actions are a symptom of the problem. My ultimate problem is that I have a sinful heart and I do sinful things because it's a natural expression of my sinful nature. It's just, it's just expressing, it's, you know, it's expressing who I am. And if that's the case, then my only hope isn't self-control, it's that I've got to change my nature. I need a new nature, I need a new character. So even when we try to just do by self-control, what we're saying is, well, I want to do this, and, and therefore I'm going to try to stop myself from doing what I want to do, thinking that somehow it's going to change what I want, and it doesn't. 
What we're doing is we're holding back our nature. We're holding back our desires. And sooner or later, there's some kind of temptation, something that lets down our defenses, and the real us slips out. Why? Because, again, the issue is it's, 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 we're not going to change ourselves through self-control. We can only do it through a, a change of our character. Because what we do is a natural expression of who we are. So I do sinful things because that's a natural expression of my sinful heart. And because that's the case, what the Bible consistently teaches when we come to issues of morality is God is more concerned about who I am than he is just what I do. It's not just, okay, here's the rules and do the right things. No, God is concerned about changing me, who I am. And um, even when we look at this passage, you know, back in, in 17 through 19, we didn't read this uh, this morning, but we looked at it last week. But Paul is talking about the problem of some Christians in Ephesus that their lifestyle was not that different than the rest of the world around them. And so what does he do? What does he say is the solution? He doesn't come and say, well, you should know better. You know, just try harder. You know, have more self-control. No, look at your Bibles. What does he say? That's not the way that you learn Christ, assuming you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus. And what it's saying is the solution is a relationship with Jesus. It's not that we need more self-control. It's not that we need more, greater morality. What we ultimately need is a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. A changed moral life is the byproduct. The main goal is a relationship with, with Christ. And the closer that I become with Jesus, the more that it changes my character, and the byproduct is changed behavior. See, but what I want to do is that I look at this and I say, I'm fighting against my, you know, my self-control. I'm trying to do that. And, 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 and I realize that it's always a losing battle because I cannot do it. I'm fighting against my nature. Um, look at what Paul's saying. He says, okay, how do we do this? I first of all come to Christ. I have this relationship with Christ. And then as I do that, I learn to take off what I was wearing, the morality, the lifestyle, the old way, and to put on a new one. He uses this illustration of clothing. Look what he says, uh, you know, here in 22. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, when, 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 go back to 22, if you have your Bibles. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires. We're to take off the old behavior. And then what does he say? Once we take off the old, it's not just stop doing the bad things, but to let God change us. Verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. After that has happened, we put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness. He's teaching us here this idea. And in it, he's teaching us something about the nature of, of morality, that there's a supremacy of righteousness. It's not just, okay, negatively, don't do the bad things. But ultimately, true morality is when I put on a character of righteousness so that I'm defined by who I am. Think about Jesus. Okay, Jesus, in his life, was he ultimately defined by the rules that he kept, by the sins that he avoided? No, when you think of Jesus, you think of his, 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 you know, his love and joy and peace and patience, his godly character. And as Christians, when we think about Christians, ultimately people should know us not for the things that we're against, but for the things that we're for, for the positive morality that we put on, the character that we put on. And so when Paul does this, he's teaching this, and he now uses this illustration, which we can all relate to, because we're trying to understand this. And okay, so illustration saying, here's something you relate to. And we understand what it means to wear clothing, to get dressed. And so he uses this illustration, and he says, okay, now your behavior, in a sense, is clothing that you're wearing. It's what people see. 
And what you need to realize, he said, is that our culture around us, unbelieving culture around us, has a set of clothing that's normal for them. That's what people wear. It's, it's lifestyles. It's values. And that's normal. And he said, okay, that may have been normal for them, and, and it may have been what we had before we relationship with Christ. That was normal for us because we were part of the world. But now that we're followers of Christ, it's no longer normal. It's no longer appropriate. It no longer fits. We should live differently. We should look differently. And so look at how he uses this terminology, to put off your old self, to take off your old self, literally using this imagery of clothing, which belongs to your former manner of life. You used to wear these. This was the clothing, the lifestyle that you used to wear. They defined us. And, and it was like the Gentiles. It was like the unbelieving world around us. And, and that's who we were. But now as followers of Christ, we're called to take that off and instead to put on a, the new self created after the likeness of God, to put on something that is new, a new lifestyle that reflects God's character. See, simply put, we could say that he's calling us to, in a sense, take off sin and put on righteousness. Now, since he's using a physical, physical illustration, let me try to illustrate it physically. Okay, so let me say that I, was, I came in this morning and I had this beautiful jacket on. And you sit there and you say, man, that is the height of fashion. You know, that is, you know, I, I walk in and I've got this beautiful. Now, now the, the, the sad thing is that it actually has, um, has lights. That, unfortunately, the batteries died, so it should be lighting up. And, you know, that would even be cooler, you know. So, so I walk in and if you see me walking around on Sunday morning, hey, how are you doing on Sunday in June? What are you thinking? Yeah, what's going on? You know, this is, you know, that's kind of weird. You know, this kind of weird clothing. You know, it's, it's, it's June. You know, Mike, you know when it is. It's, it's the middle of June, and you're wearing this gaudy Christmas jacket. And, and it's Sunday morning church, and this, this is, in a sense, inappropriate. Now, for an ugly Christmas sweater party in December, it might be appropriate. But it's inappropriate for the circumstances. Now, see, this is building off of the idea that Paul is saying is that there were certain things that we wore in the past that may be appropriate in the world, but as far as a Christ, if we're still wearing this, it no longer fits. It's no longer appropriate. It, it doesn't look right. It's, it was maybe once natural for us to wear, but as far as a Christ, it doesn't fit. And so what's he calling us to do? He's calling us to take off the old, to take off the sin, to take off these you know, lifestyles and the habits that used to define us, but we can't stop there. We've got to then put on the new. Now, here's the problem. If I don't put on the new, what happens? If I don't put anything else on and I'm just saying, okay, I'm going to take that off, and now I'm thinking about the old. I'm thinking, well, I shouldn't do that. I think, I, you know, and, and I'm thinking about trying not to do it, about keeping the rules. But I've been wearing this for a long time. This was what was natural for me. It's what I see everyone else in the world around me wearing. So in time, if I don't put something else on, it's just real natural for to take this back on and to slip it back on and just, why? Because it's comfortable. I've been wearing it long enough. Man, I feel more comfortable with it. In fact, I, I barely even notice when I have it on. It's just, it's just what's natural. But we're called to not only take off the old, but then to put on the new. To take off, look at verse, what he says. You know, he says, to take off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, is corrupt through deceitful desires. 24, to instead put on the new self created after the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. Now, here's what you need to realize. Why do I have to take this off first? For the simple reason that if I say, here's something new, if I'm wearing this, this isn't going to fit. 
This, this isn't going to go on. And it's, you know, I can try to, and that's what happens sometimes. Well, I'm going to try to put on righteousness. But until we take off the sin, until we take off the things that God is calling us to take off, the old lifestyle, I can try to squeeze this on, but it's just not going to work. Now, here's what we've got to realize. Again, I take it off. If I take it off, don't put anything else on, then in time I'm going to go back to what's old and comfortable. But on the other hand, to say if I take off the old and now I put on the new, I put on the new lifestyle, I put on, you know, what God has called me to, suddenly I'm now wearing this. Now, you know what doesn't fit? This doesn't fit anymore. I can't put this on. I might get comfortable when I reach it out and I suddenly go and I say, because I've now, this isn't going to fit. It isn't going to work. It isn't going to work at all because the fact of the matter is I'm going to wear one or the other. If I t try to take it off, I will eventually revert back to what's natural. But the only hope that I have is to take off the old, to put on the new, and that's not only going to help me, you know, the morality of not doing the bad things. It's ultimately when I have righteousness, when I'm living out righteousness, when I'm being who God has called me to be, suddenly the temptation with sin isn't going to be the same. Now, this is the basic truth that Paul is teaching throughout this whole section. It's, it's, he's introducing it here in, in, in the first, you know, in verses 17 through 24, and then the, the next 20 verses or so, up through the middle of chapter 5, is him coming back to the same issue again and again. And what he does is he takes various issues of sin. And he said, okay, now, when this issue of sin, okay, take off the old, take off what used to define you, what, what's in the world, and now instead put on this new righteousness. And the first one we're going to see right here in verse 25, we read a few minutes ago, is dealing with the whole issue of honesty. What does he say? Take off the sin of lying and put on truthfulness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, taking off the falsehood, let us each one speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Now, we hear that, but right away we have a challenge. Because even when we talk about this issue of what is truthfulness and what is lying, we live in a culture where the old way is so natural and normal to us, we're confused even about what, what honesty is. And our culture is definitely there. We, you know, on the one hand, we all realize it's important. I mean, all of us, you know, realize there's importance of telling the truth. And, and everyone, believers, non-believers, want to think of ourselves as being honest. And, and we want others to see us as honest people. And we expect other people to tell us the truth. In fact, if you look at it or think about it, any culture is dependent on some level of truth-telling. If you can't trust what other people say to you, how do you, how do you function in culture? And any relationship, any meaningful relationship is built on a foundation of truth. And we've seen, you know, many of us in our own lives, a little bit of dishonesty can, can you know, do an incredible amount of damage to the foundation of a relationship, so much so many relationships crumble. So on the one hand, we all agree that truth-telling is really important. But there have been studies and surveys in America that show that while we say it's important, we really don't do it that much. One study found that 91% um, of people admitted that they lie on a regular basis. Now, caught, that's what they admitted, that, they, oh, yeah, I lie on a regular basis. Another person, Dr. Michael Lewis of Roberts Wood Johnson's Medical School, did a comprehensive study of the issue, and he concluded that in a single day, most people lie a minimum of 25 times a day. And so here we're lying, and we're aware that we're lying, 
But the, the, you know, the amazing thing is, is that at the same time that those studies with the same people, they do other surveys, and surveys consistently show that the vast majority of Americans consider themselves extremely honest. So here we have this problem. 91% of Americans lie, regularly, admit it, and, and at the same time, the same people admit that we lie regularly, we consider ourselves extremely honest. Clearly, we've got some confusion. So much so, we don't even know what to teach. So for example, there was an article that was done some time ago in Child Magazine by some child psychologists uh, talk about the truth about lying. And, and it really dealt with the whole issue of what should we teach our children about this issue. And, and they argued that some lying should be seen as healthy and an inevitable part of ch child development. And they talked about an old view of lying, and the old view was that lying, like other issues of morality, were seen only in black and white. Children were taught that all lying was bad, deserving of strict punishment, and frequently reminded that lying will make your nose grow like Pinocchio. Now, that's the old view. That's the bad view. The new view today that we now, the experts say, is that we are, that lying, some lying is considered normal. In fact, a child's first few lies are seen as an important step in development of their self. A small amount of appropriate lying is considered healthy because it shows that they're developing a sense of identity, a capacity to have internal secrets and the ability to serve other people. So lying is a good thing, according to them. And these are our experts. And so clearly, if the experts are teaching that, we should teach our kids to lie some. Hey, we've got a big problem. What does the Bible teach on this? Well, it does tell us to, first of all, as followers, that's our culture that shouldn't be us. We should take off the sin of speaking falsely. It starts there. That's, we've got to start by taking off what is normal, what is, what is culturally acceptable, what maybe has been true of us in the past. What does he say in verse 25? Having put away falsehood. It's the really restatement of the ninth commandment. You know, you shall not give false witness against your neighbor. Again, but we don't do this very well. You know, 91% we admit we write regularly. We, we you know, we... Uh, lie an average of, or, or minimum 25 times a day for most people. We, we're teaching our kids that we should lie. And, and there are many people that almost take the white you know, flag of surrender and saying, well, well, honesty is good. It's not always good. And we start to justify and turn into a virtue that which the Bible says is a vice. So let me give you another example. This is from a quote from the American Academy of this Advancement of Science. They say, the proficiency of lying may be the best measure of evolutionary advancement, with primates much more adapted at it than other mammals, and human beings being, being the masterful deceivers on the planet. So you hear what I'm saying? Say, what the Bible says is vice. No, that's virtue. We've evolved. Because we've evolved so much, evolution, our progress is in our ability to lie. And we've got a huge amount of problems on this. But even as Christians, we can say, okay, well, I know it's wrong, and the Bible calls us to take that off. But if all we do is focus on the taking off, what we're going to do is we're going to run into one of two problems. The first is what I'm going to call moralism. And, and the first problem is when I say moralism, it's when we try to redefine the standards to fit where we're at. And this is what you see culturally. So while we should speak the truth, well, truthfulness isn't 100% of the time. We redefine it. Instead of having, here's God's calling, and it calls us to stretch up, well, no, we've got to lower it to a good comfort level. And this is why we have this incredible seeming contradiction between 91, you know, all Americans saying truth-telling is important, 
91% of the people say that, yes, I lie on a regular basis, and yet at the same time, the very same people say, I consider myself extremely honest. Why? Because what they do is that they lie, but it's not important lies. It's little white lies. You know, certain lies are real lies, and other lies really aren't real lies. And, and some lies are actually good because we need to do this to get along with people and not hurt people's feelings. And, and so they'll say, well, honesty is it's important, um, you know, but, but on important issues it's important. When it's not important, then it's not, not a really big deal. Okay, so who gets to decide whether it's important? I mean, talk to the person you're talking to and say, hey, let me ask you before I give you the answer, is this an important thing to you or not? If it's not important, is it okay for me to lie? I'm sure they're going to tell you, no, no, this is important, tell me the truth. Or, or we say, you know, well, it's okay to lie sometimes in the right situations, and so we think in the right situations, well, it's justifiable. But again, ask the person you're talking to, is this a situation where you want me to give you a truthful answer or do you want me to give you a lie? I'm pretty sure that the vast majority of time, the listener always thinks the right situation is the truth. See, we're justifying this. We're lowering this moralism. We're lowering the standard, and we've got to realize if, we, if we're, all we're doing is trying to keep that, we're trying to be comfortable with ourselves because our, our, our nature is wrong. And if we don't change our nature, we've got to figure out a way to make ourselves feel less guilty. But one problem is moralism. The other is, is, is legalism. And here what we do is we try to redefine the law into a standard that we can keep, usually by stressing the letter of the law and in the process rejecting the spirit of the law. So what we do is, is you hear people will say, well, I'm telling the truth. Technically, I haven't lied. See, they will st stress the importance of not lying, but focus on technically what does a lie mean. Well, it means that I didn't state a explicit untruth. I, in fact, I've, I've heard, I remember hearing a message by a pastor who was talking about lying, and that's his definition. Well, it's not speaking an intentional mistruth with the purpose of misleading, but, but applying, okay, there's a whole lot of other deception that you can have that's technically truthful. In fact, let me give you an example of this. Um, you know, I've, I've shared this before, but, but it's such a great example. I had a friend of mine who was telling me, we were talking about honesty, and he was, she was telling me about how her mom was this a great example of honesty. And, and she told me, oh, yeah, my mom would be was so, you know, taught me to be really, you know, really honest. And here was her example. You know, if we were at home and somebody would call, and I would say, well, who's calling? And, and they would tell me, and I would, you know, kind of tell my mom. And she would raise her finger, and then she would run out the door, stand out to the door, and, and then nod to me, and then I would say, well, my mom isn't home at the moment. Or, or she would go run into the shower and say, well, my mom's in the shower right now. And she's sitting there saying, well, this was a great example of, of honesty. What a great you know, model that my mom was. Now, let me ask you, was that truly being honest, or was it technically not telling a lie? See, I can look, sit there and say, well, technically I haven't lied, but meanwhile, the whole purpose is to deceive you, to not to give you the honest answer, but to give you a dishonest answer, but, but I've justified it because technically I haven't spoken a mistruth. And that's what happens is that when we focus on the technical letter of the law, we're able to hide the facts and meanwhile destroy the spirit of the law. See, God is dealing with our heart. And when he deals with our heart, he's not just concerned about, again, our behavior and if we kept the law and if we jumped over the hoops. He wants to change our character. 
And the legalist point to the rules. God's looking at it and saying, no, I want to change your heart because he wants us to put on the character of truthfulness. That's what Paul says. Look at verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, taken off the old, I want you now to speak the, tr speak the truth with his neighbor, in a sense, to put on the new. See, he call calls us to go beyond not just stop or stop lying, to speak truthfully. And again, if we focus just on speaking dishonestly, what happens is, again, we justify our, our, our lying. But we're not just called to be technically honest, we're called to be people of the truth, people who speak the truth, who live out the truth, and people of integrity, which is a beautiful word. I mean, integrity means wholeness, you know, so that we, the idea is that we have this wholeness so that there's, there's one. And so what you hear from me in one setting is the same thing you're going to hear from the other setting. And, and I'm not going to be two different people with two different stories. And, and no, there's a, there's a consistency. And my friends, we have to ask, is that true of me? Do I have that kind of integrity? Can people take me at my word? Do, is, is that who I am? Do I have that character? And, it, and if we're struggling with that, the answer isn't just try harder. It's not, okay, discipline yourself, feel guilty or... No, it's realizing that the problem is there's something in my heart that is drawing me towards it, and what I need is I need to come to God and I ask, need to ask Him to change me, to, to put on something new so that I'm created to be like in the likeness of God and true righteousness is holiness, to put on this character of truthfulness that He does. See, it's not only speaking the truth technically, but literally seeking to be truthful in everything that we say. So if we put off falsehood, we can still be guilty of deception, but when we speak truthfulness, we can't lie. When I put on this, you see, if I'm really speaking truthful, that doesn't fit anymore. This really isn't an issue anymore. If I'm really trying to speak truthful, truthfulness, deception isn't, it isn't an issue. It's just not, it's not something that I'm going to deal with. See, that's the point that Jesus would talked about even in the Sermon on the Mount when he talked about the issue. And, and, and that day, you had people, the, the religious people, they were moralists and legalists, and they were trying to make the rules. And here's when it really isn't a lie. And if I, if I vow on this, well, that, that's a small thing. So then, then the lie really isn't the lie. And that's, that's what they were arguing. And look at what Jesus says. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make hair, one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. Basically saying, you know, you don't need to make you know, vows. You don't need to make promises. You don't need to say, well, because I vowed here, because I you know, promised on, you know, you know, on this person or on a stack of Bibles or, you know, therefore, you can trust me. What he's saying is, as believers, we shouldn't need to swear. It's not, not that it's wrong to make a vow, but we shouldn't need to because our simple yes and no in everyday conversation should be as reliable as if, we had sworn in a court of law on a stack of Bibles. See, there's no difference in what we should say. There should be that kind of integrity, that kind of consistency. That's what God wants to develop in our hearts. Now, does that mean that we always share our every thought, our every opinion? I mean, you know some people that, that sometimes share some things that are very hurtful and, and, you know, well, I'm just being truthful. You all know that. Uh, does it mean... Men, when your wife comes to you and they're wearing something that is, is a new dress, and they say, honey, how do you like my dress? That, you know, the answer, well, Pastor Mike said that I should always tell the truth. That's, that's about the ugliest dress I've ever seen. You know, it really shows off the 10 pounds that you grained in your rear the last year. You know, it's just, no, that's, 
That's not, that's not what I'm teaching. That's not what I'm saying here. Um, you know, I think of even, you know, I, I remember one day I came home, and, and I, I think I'd, I obviously I'd gotten a bad haircut. I walked in, and one of my kids was very honest, and she started laughing at my haircut. And, and you know, and, and that's very honest. That was not encouraged. I looked to Sandy, and I said, is it really that bad? She said, you know, I'd go to a different barber next time. That was a little nicer. There's nicer ways of saying that. You know, it doesn't mean when you go to a boss comes to you and say, hey, we got these new um, policies we wrote, and we look them over, tell what you think. You don't go back to them and say, those were the dumbest policies I've ever seen. Were you drunk when you wrote them? You know, no, you'll be out of job on Monday. That's not what it's saying. There's some tack to your truth. Now, now, here's why. Because even in this section, it not only calls us to be truthful, but it balances us with other characters of Jesus that define how we communicate the truth. And what is the example? The example is Jesus. And the example of Jesus was he was total truth, that was his character, but also at the same time, he was total grace. And so we're called to speak truth with gracious truth, character of gracious truth. And again, we know of people that will come out and say things, and they're offensive, and they will just, you know, they're brash, and they try to defend the brashness by saying, I'm just being truthful. I tell you, in my own experience, most of the time when people are doing that, they're not necessarily speaking truth, they're speaking their opinion, and they've got hurtful opinions and hurtful thoughts, and they're trying to justify their sharing of those hurtful thoughts by calling it truth, but it's really not, you know, objective truth. And what we need to realize is that, no, sharing, being truthful doesn't mean you share your every thought. And even when we speak truth, we always do it in a context of that's also defined by grace. See, it's not sharing every opinion. In fact, if we were to go just a few verses before what we're looking at this morning, Ephesians 4, if you go back to verse 15, there's another passage that speaks about speaking truth, but it shows the balance. Look what it says. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And I love this passage. You know, this, when we looked at this a couple weeks ago, we talked about, literally, it doesn't say speaking the truth in love. It doesn't, speaking's not even in there. Literal translation is he takes the word truth and he makes it a verb. He makes it a verb form. And so literally, it's truthing each other in love. We are to grow up in him. We're to relate to each other in truth. We're called to, to relate to each other so that, so that we relate truth to truth. And that means that not only what we speak, but that we let other people into our lives so that we let them see something about the truth we are, but always in a way that is defined by love. We're, we're called to relate each other in truth, but in a way that is, that is loving, that is building, that is helpful. In fact, if we go to a couple verses later than this, we could go to verse 29. We're going to look at this in a couple weeks. But look at what he says in verse 29, again, about speaking truth. Now, remember, we talked about, now, or speaking, we talked about truth but also our speech is this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. When it says corrupting, that just means tearing down something that is hurtful, something that, you know, that, um, that erodes. So don't let anything come out of your mouths that, that is hurtful, that is erosive, corrosive, that is that's harmful for the other person. But instead, only such as it's good for building up. Now, truth builds up. But I can speak truth in such a way that is corrupting, that is hurtful, that's painful, or I can speak truth, which sometimes might be painful, but that yet still is for building the other person up. 
that I'm being careful in how I say what I say. Why? Because I always want it to give, fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. It should always be driven by love with the purpose of grace. See, this isn't, again, a set of rules. This is a character that God is calling us to. And it's a character that ultimately grows from the character of Jesus. Why? Because it's all about a relationship with him. We put on him. And the more that we put on him, the more we become like him. It starts by taking off the old and then putting on the new. But, but it always means that we go back to Jesus and realize, how do we do this? Well, that's the way he loved us. I love what, what Roman, or, or John 1 says about Jesus. And the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the one and only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of truth, uncompromising truth, total truth, but at the same time full of grace. It's not one or the other. If you really understand it, true truth will always be gracious, and true grace will always speak truth. You really can't divide these two ideas. And that's the heart of the gospel. That's the way that God has loved us. The gospel is God's uncompromised truth that is defined by radical grace. Why? Because what is the gospel? The gospel is God coming and speaking truth to us, and a lot of that truth is, hey, we're sinners. There's total truth, and we're separated from God by our sin, that we're sinners that fall short of God's glory, that we deserve God's punishment. See, but the Bible doesn't say that to announce our condemnation. It's not saying that to make us feel guilty or to make us, you know, just drive us into a hole. Everything that the Bible says, it says, here is the truth. Here is the truth about honesty, not so that you can feel guilty about where you're dishonest, but that he says, okay, let me expose that so I can bring it to grace. Let me speak truth so it can point towards the grace of Jesus. Because the truth is we're sinners and we need God's grace. But at the same point, God has made that grace available through Jesus, who came and died on the cross and took our sins upon himself, paid the penalty for our sins so that for any of us who admit, God, I have that need, I ask you to forgive me, he exposes our need in truth to invite us by grace to forgiveness through faith in Jesus. My friends, you may be some here that, you know, you're here and you come and you you have a background, you think religion, and you think about, okay, it's the morals and it's the rules and, and feel you know, guilty for what I'm not doing, and that's not the message of the Bible. And, and you may have been in a church where you've heard that, but that's not the message of the Bible. That's not the message of Jesus. No, it's not about, you know, truth to make you feel guilty or to moralism and rules. It's, it's about a relationship with Jesus, and Jesus exposes our need speaking uncompromised truth so that he could drive us to grace. And if you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'd invite you to do so this morning, to recognize that I don't want you to walk out of here feel guilty or feel beaten up or by where you fall short, or, but to realize that if God's exposing the need, it's not so that you can to drive you away or to make you feel like you've got to try harder, but it's to realize that the ultimate solution isn't isn't trying harder. It's coming and saying, God, I admit my need and accept the gift of grace that's offered through Jesus. Jesus, I ask you to forgive my sins. And, and I invite you to do so this morning, where you're at, or to, I'd love even as we close to, to talk with you, pray with you. And there are many others that maybe we've done that in the past, but we realize that, that we're the people that Paul talked about in verse 17, where 
man, we're still looking an awful lot like the world. Maybe on this issue of honesty, we're still wearing these old clothes, and, and boy, they're really comfortable. And Paul's, you know, God's saying through Paul, these don't belong us anymore. And again, I'm not saying this. God isn't saying this to make you feel guilty or to you know, beat you up or try harder. You know better. No, that's not the message at all. It's, yeah, these don't belong. And, and remember the gospel of grace and, and, and take them off and come to God and say, God, I ask you to give me new character. I need you to change me. I need you to heal. There may be some of us that, it, that we need healing because they're relationships that there has been broken trust that we need to bring before God and let him do a miracle of healing. And he can and he will if you let him. And for all of us, this is an incredible challenge because it is so countercultural to live in a way that's radically different than the world around us, to be people that are not even rule keepers and technically don't lie, but literally to become people of truth. And part of that is even truth, not only what we speak, but who we are to each other. And that's it for this week's message. If you'd like to get in touch, send us a text to 330-644-6121. If you'd like to go deeper into this study on spiritual gifts, Pastor Mike hosted a workshop live on YouTube that we'll link to in the show notes. We'll have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.